Hello again, everyone. This is Stephen Ron with another episode of the Profound Pickleball Podcast. Today's episode will not feature a guest. Uh, I'll just be talking to you today. And the uh, topic that I want to talk about is compatibility with a doubles partner. Now, this topic came to me. Um, I was having a, a meal with my friend Leo, a really good player. Um, met him at Oregon Park. And he asked me about uh, this is a possible topic. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, compatibility with a doubles partner in pickleball. And I would welcome you guys if you uh, would like to share some of your thoughts to um, either drop me a note at my Facebook page, uh, profoundpickleball.com, or send me a private message. That'll be fine um, to let me know what you think about this. Now, I'm going to start by uh, giving you a couple suggestions um, for trying to find a good partner. Now, some of you may already have a partner that you really like, and that's great. But some people maybe don't yet have a partner that they play with regularly, especially for tournaments. I'm kind of building this all towards, you know, maybe wanting to play in tournaments, uh, things like that. So what I like to do is I participate in some round robins in the area. And there are basically two kinds of round robin. One is where you have a partner uh, that you bring to the round robin and you and your partner stay together the entire time. So let's say maybe there are six or eight teams. So you would play every one of the other teams, but you'd play with the same partner the entire time. This is very much like a tournament round robin would, have, would, have, would occur. Now the, the advantage of this is obviously that you and that partner get a lot of playing time together. So you get to learn, you know, tendencies. Uh, you get to figure out if your partner likes to poach on certain type shots, how they dink, do they lob, do they not lob, do they prefer, you know, third shot drops, third shot drives, you know, how they serve. So the way to build, you know, uh, camaraderie with a partner is obviously just to play a lot together. So playing a round robin you know, against a bunch of other teams uh, can get you a lot of playing time in a short amount of time um, and get you, you know, playing different uh, types of teams. So that's a really good way to build, you know, um, like I said, compatibility with a partner. And so if you can maybe, you know, try to put together some round robins you know, informally, maybe just even three or four teams, that'd be great. One thing I would be careful about, however, is playing against the same small group of people all the time. Because after a while, you will learn their tendencies, okay, and they'll learn yours, and the, the, there won't be as much spontaneous uh, type points. Because we all know if you've played a lot of tournaments, you go to a tournament and you play very different styles than maybe what you're used to. So I would suggest if you're going to maybe you know, schedule some round robins of your own, try to reach out to some people you don't normally play with a lot so you'll get more experience with those different playing styles, okay? So the round robin with a partner is a great way to, to prepare for a tournament and to figure out if this person is really a good partner for me. Because, you know, sometimes we may like the person that we're playing with, but maybe our styles just don't sort of, you know, mesh well together. And, you know, I've had to tell people, you know, I just don't think we play well together, and I've had people tell me the same thing. And I don't think any less of those people. It's just, okay, well, our styles just don't, you know, mesh well for a tournament or anything, you know, long term. And that's okay. I still enjoy playing with them, but we may just play, you know, more recreationally. Now, another type of round robin that you may want to consider, this is really more if you're looking for a partner. 
there are some round robins where they're basically what I like to call them a rotating partner round robin. So let's say, uh, and in this kind, you don't actually bring your own partner to this event. So let's say you've got maybe, again, six or eight people. Preferably, you want to do maybe eight or 12 so you have a good, you know, even number so everybody gets to play the entire time. So let's say you've got eight people. And again, this can be male or female, doesn't matter. And the eight of you get together and you're going to play seven games, but you're going to play each game with a different partner, okay? Now, the advantage of this is you get to play with different people and learn a little bit about how they play, and during those seven games, you might find a couple of people that you really, you know, gel with, okay? And also, the I think a good advantage of this is not only do you get to play with these people for a game, but you also get to play against different people that may have different styles. So let's say you've identified someone you really like playing with, but then you play a couple of games against them and you kind of maybe learn things that they like or don't like as an opponent, that can be very helpful as well as playing with them. So if you have a chance to do a rotating partner round robin, um, that's probably better, like I said, if you're looking for a partner. Or it can also be a good thing if you've got a partner. Let's say you and your regular partner go to one of these and you split up, you know, you'll play one game together, but you'll play six games apart, and you'll wind up playing a couple of games against each other. So again, learning your partner's tendencies by playing against them can be very helpful. Maybe you notice different things about, again, maybe the way they position themselves, or maybe they become predictable about the way they dink. Maybe they always dink cross-court. Maybe they never change it up by dinking sort of up the line. Um, you may find some tendencies, you know, of your partner by playing against them that you would not have known by playing with them. So maybe consider, you know, putting together a rotating partner type of um, round robin. Now, a variation of that uh, rotating partner round robin is something that I've done a few times uh, that we call court one. And court one is, let's say, uh, I'll take, let's say, 12 people this time. So what you would do is you designate it like court one would be the top court. That's sort of like the court where the champions uh, will stay. So let's say you've got four people on court one, four people on court two, four people on court three. So the two people that play on court one, whoever wins that game, they stay on court one. Okay, and then they'll split after they play a game together. So then the winners of court two move up to court one. The losers from court one move down to court two. And then the same thing with court three. The, the winners of court three would move up to court two, and the losers of court two down to court three. If you're the loser on court three, you just stay on court three, and then you split for the next game with whoever your partner was. So what you do in this scenario is you're moving up or down based on whether you win or lose, but then every game that you play, you don't play with the same partner two times in a row. Now, depending on how long you do this, you may play with the same person more than once, but you ideally would not play with them more than one game in a row, like I said. And the overall goal of this is to keep winning to get yourself up to court one. And at the end, sometimes we do a little thing where whoever had the most wins on court one, you know, gets to be, you know, the champion for the day. And uh, sometimes maybe even people might pool together money for a small prize or just, you know, kind of a, a fun thing, just saying, hey, I'm, I'm the champ this week or whatever. So a court one, court two, court three situation, again, you, you don't go into that with the same partner. 
it's a rotating partners thing, but you're trying to move yourself up and down. It's really a fun competitive way, you know, to, to play with a lot of different people. Now, again, ideally you would have, you know, eight or 12 people. If you don't, then you'll just have to sit out a couple of people each game, which as it's getting closer to summer and when it gets really, really hot, that might not be a bad thing. Uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, sitting out maybe every second or third game, you know, if it's really, really hot, you know, um, if in a rotating partner situation, if we didn't have 12 people. So the round robins that you might want to informally organize would be, like I said, the partner's round robin. You got the same partner the entire time um, or the rotating partners where you play with a different person each time. And again, as a variation of that, you could even have a court one. Some people call that the king of the court um, model. And like I say, if you're playing, getting ready for a tournament and you know who your partner is, you may want to stick to the round robins where you can get more time with that partner. It's really up to you to decide. But as far as developing, you know, the uh, compatibility with a partner, a lot of things go into that. Now, some people say, well, maybe it's good to have partners with different styles. Maybe like, for example, one partner is more of a control player, you know, very consistent, you're very good at dinking, likes to keep the ball low, whereas the partner might be more of a power type player who likes to poach a lot and put balls away. Now, my own personal playing style is if I'm playing well, I generally do get a lot of setups from whoever my partner is. So some of the partners I play with are, you know, pretty good at putting balls away and poaching you know, more power type players, but I also play some with some very consistent uh, players who aren't maybe you know as uh, powerful, I guess, but they're very consistent. And maybe I get a few more putaways in that case. So I'm trying to work on my playing style as someone who can play with just about anyone. I'm working on that. Uh, I think that's, that'd be a good thing for all us, for all of us to be able to do to be able to play with different people. So. Another thing that, that I encounter is I'm left-handed. And some people like to play with lefties. Other people have issues with it. And the reason that they have issues with it is because sometimes there's confusion in the middle of the court. For example, if I, being the lefty, am on the right side of the court, then if I'm playing with a righty, we've both got our forehands in the middle. So usually at the beginning of the game, I'll say, you know, we'll just talk about balls in the middle um, sometimes they'll say, well, you take the forehands, or if I think they've got the stronger forehand, I'll tell them to get most of the forehands. But usually it's a good idea just to talk about that ahead of time. But no matter how much you talk about it, sometimes a ball comes right down the middle and you both either think you should get it or maybe you think the other person can get it and neither one ends up getting it. And the ball just goes down the middle and you lose the point because of that. Um, in no amount of practice will guarantee that 100% of the time that won't happen. Um, so it's just one of the, the more you play with the person, you get a better feel for that. But then again, sometimes the other team just hits a really good hard ball down the middle that a little tiny bit of confusion can cause you a problem. Now, some people say, well, the advantage of having the two forehands in the middle overcomes the occasional middle ball that nobody can get or both of you go for. And I tend to think that way. I do prefer having the forehands in the middle if possible. Um, but again, it depends on the partner. Now, sometimes I do play with other lefties, and that introduces a little bit of a, a different dynamic for me because I'm used to having you know, both forehands in the middle or both backhands in the middle if I'm on the left side of the court. 
But when I play with a lefty, I have to adjust to the fact that, okay, if I'm on the left side of the court, then my partner has the forehand in the middle, okay, which is, I, I like that because I let them take those. But if I'm on the right side, then I've got the only forehand in the middle. So it does take a little bit of adjusting when you play with a lefty, even for us lefties, okay? Now, another thing that you may want to consider if you play with a lefty is stacking. Now, stacking occurs when you uh, sort of change your positions a bit to keep both forehands in the middle. So in other words, if I'm serving, let's say, on the left side of the court, okay, and I want to keep my forehand to the middle, what I would have to do is have my partner stand to my left, assuming I have a right-handed partner. So I would then serve the ball, and then I would shift, as soon as I served, over to the right side of the court, and then we'd have both our forehands in the middle. Now, that obviously causes me to have to move more, okay, but it also can cause a little bit of a problem with keeping the score if you forget you know, your positions on the court because you're moving a little bit out of position to where, you know, if you think you're the first server, you're always on the uh, right side with an even score, okay? So sometimes stacking can cause problems with positioning. And so if you play with someone a lot, you may want to practice the stacking if you think it's an advantage. Um, as a lefty, I've gotten to the point where whether or not I stack really depends on my partner. If it's someone that I've never played with before or haven't played a lot with, I tend not to do stacking. But if it is someone I've played a good bit with, I'm more open to doing stacking if they want to do that, okay? But stacking is just a way to keep your forehands in the middle if you're playing a lefty and a righty. Now, I do know some people who stack if they're both righties because they may want the uh, righty with the stronger forehand on the left side of the court. I see this often in mixed, um, where the, the, the man, the male player, wants his forehand in the middle. Um, so they'll stack so that the female spends most of the uh, time on the right side of the court there. So her backhand is in the middle, but the, the partner um, is keeping the forehand in the middle on the left side. Um, so I've seen stacking done a lot of ways, okay? So if you're gonna play with a lefty, that's something you need to work out with your partner do we want to stack or not? So that would be an issue that you'd have to discuss there, okay? Now, another issue would be about poaching. Now, I mentioned poaching earlier. You know, sometimes people, uh, players who, you know, maybe have a more of a power type game tend to do more poaching, okay? Um, and that's perfectly okay. But the problem with poaching is sometimes a player who's poaching, who's moving across the court, sometimes if I, as a their partner, don't give them room to poach. You know, I've had cases where we kind of bumped into each other because they poached over and I didn't back off because I didn't realize they were going to poach. I've also seen cases where the poacher moves across the court and can't quite get to the ball like they thought. And that poacher then gets in the way of the partner and neither one of them gets the ball. So poaching is an issue or something that you and your partner will need to work out. And you might need to say, hey, you know, um, maybe you're poaching a little too much or maybe try a different way of poaching or something like that. Um, so poaching is overall, I think, a good thing in most cases, but I have seen cases where there was maybe too much poaching going on or some cases where, you know, the person not doing the poaching was getting a little bit irritated <laughs> because the poacher was sort of coming too far and getting in front of the person. Um, and causing just sort of an issue where I don't feel like I'm getting any balls here because my partner's getting everything. 
Well, another issue that sometimes comes with poaching is, let's say the poacher does poach and moves across, but doesn't put the ball away. Well, in that case, the side that the poacher came from can be wide open for the other team to hit a winner. So if you play with someone who poaches, and I, I do play with people who poach, when I see my partner poaching, I will tend to take a step back and then head over to the other side of the court where they departed from in order to try to cut off some of those balls if my poacher poaching partner did not hit a winner. So what you want to avoid is having both of you on the same side of the court you know, when you hit a ball so that the other team has that wide open court on the other side. So... I played a lot of tennis, and I'm sort of used to when my partner crosses over like that, going in behind them. So if you, if, but if you never played a, uh, another racket sport, paddle sport, you may not be used to that. So just know that if your partner kind of cuts towards in front of you, be ready to go back behind where your partner was, so that you can cut off those balls. And what I'll usually do is when my partner poaches, when I go back behind them, I'll say something like "switch" or "I'm there" or some you know, very quick, you know, verbal signal to let them know that I've got the backside of the court that they just came from. Because what you don't want to happen is the poacher poaches across, and I move to cut back behind them, and then the poacher then starts heading back to where he or she started from, and then you're both on the other side of the court. And that can cause a problem as well. So, but these things that I'm describing here the more you play with someone, you will learn what types of balls they like to poach on um, and whether or not if, when they do poach, do they continue across? Do they like to try to get back to where they were? Nothing is going to be better than experience in these cases. So, like I said, try to play with this person a lot um, if you're going to be playing a tournament or any kind of a competition, you know, uh, like Club Wars or the Turf Championship or anything like that. Because you're going to play a lot of matches in one day with pe people, you know, in these situations, and you want to be very comfortable with them. Now, some people ask me about drills. You know, is it good to drill together? And I would say absolutely it would be good to do some drills together. Some people are more pro-drilling or anti-drilling. Um, I like to drill. I don't do as much of it as I should do. Um, I think most of us probably feel that way. But if you're going to drill and you have a, then a regular partner that you're gearing up for a tournament with, try to get together and maybe reach out to, to some people you know or some local coaches and ask about doing some drills together. Um, you may find that that could really benefit you as well. Now, it is getting obviously warmer these days, and I know, I've noticed a lot more people, it seems like, playing in tournaments. Um, I've been fortunate to play with some really good partners lately. Um, Villarica, uh, Macon, uh, Griffin... Um, and also, again, the, the Turf Championship I uh, was there for in Club Wars. I've been playing some really great partners. I've really enjoyed playing with just about everyone I've played with. I'm looking forward to playing a lot more tournaments. I'll be playing in the Atlanta Open. Um, let's see what else. The National Indoor uh, Tournament in uh, Hoover, Alabama. Looking forward to that as well. Um, so I encourage you guys to, if you're going to play you know, tournaments, if you're going to play doubles, you know, try to find a partner that you, you mesh well with. Oh, let me add one other thing to this. Here's a thing that I've come across in some recent tournaments. If you have any friends who are really tall pickleball players, try to play a few matches against these tall players. The last tournament I played in, there were three uh, guys that I had to play against. It had to be at least 6'5". And these tall players, you know, they've got that long wingspan 
you know, so they, they like to poach because, you know, they can reach so much farther. It's impossible to hit a lob over, you know, these tall players. So what I try to do when I play against a taller player is to try to minimize that advantage that they have. And I'll tend to hit more balls, maybe sort of more directly at them or maybe lower at their feet, you know, where their reach, you know, doesn't work as well for them in those cases. But yeah, try to get some practice against tall players if you can, because you, know, you may hit you know what you think is a really good third shot you know drive across court, and all of a sudden this you know six foot seven inch pterodactyl of a player you know takes two steps over and just smashes your shot away because they've got the reach to get that ball where us normal mortals don't have that opportunity. So try to play against some taller players if you can. Um, and really just also, tr I'll add to that, try to play against players who have different styles because when you get in a tournament, you have no idea in many cases you know, what style people are going to play. Now, if you play local tournaments, you may see the same players a lot. But like when you play a big tournament like the Atlanta Open or you know the, down in Foley, Alabama, the tournament down there, um, or if you play in, in uh, Opelika, you know, tournaments outside of you know, the area that you normally live in, you're going to encounter players with a lot of different styles there. So try to play against players, if you can, that do have different styles. So you'll sort of be ready for anything. And I would also, you know, to more to add to this, work on your own playing style so that you don't get locked into doing just one thing. In other words, maybe your, your overall goal is just to hit third shot drops every time and get to the line and just dink and dink and dink and do nothing but dink, okay? That's great, you may win a lot of matches doing that, but at some point you may come up against someone who has no problem with what you're doing. In other words, they'll dink with you all day long and they're just as good if not better at it than you are. Well, in that case, you know, you may want to develop more of a, a third shot drive and a little bit more of a power type game, maybe some push dinks, you know, or things like that where you kind of try to push people off that line whereas a straight dinking game may not work for you as you get to the higher level. So try to vary your own game depending on what the opponents are trying to do. Now if, if you, let's say, are a power player, then try to reverse that. You may play against players that, you know, you can hit the ball as hard as you want, but they keep blocking your uh, hard drives and, you know, down into the kitchen and they have no problem with your power. Well, in that case, you may want to slow the game down yourself and you know, dial it down a bit you know, to try to work and look for opportunities to power the ball and not just power it every time. Because I think in, in almost any sport, no matter what it is, being able to play different styles, play different ways, and adjust to your opponents will almost always help you to win. Okay. Well, I think I'm running out of, out of uh, things to say here. Um, I hope that this maybe gave you a little bit to think about, you know, when you consider, you know, playing in a tournament or finding a partner to play in a tournament. Um, I do hope that, you know, you'll keep playing, especially with the weather being so, so uh, much nicer these days. And I will say thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you on the court soon. Bye-bye.